Take your seats, that's great. Could we say thank you to the band as well? They've surfaced brilliantly well. And the tech guys at the back. And we've, we've truly, truly, truly loved worshipping with you. Um, Becky and I have also had the um, wonderful privilege of uh, staying with Norman and Kay in their great manse. It's very nice, it's very good. Um, we're staying in the West Wing, I believe, uh, which is quite nice. So. Actually, we've got, a, we've got a big drafty old house in England uh, as our vicarage as well, so it's a bit of a home from home. But I thought I'd tell you my favourite manse story. This is not from them, but this is from another manse. Uh, so there was this very remote manse, and um, people uh, you know, rarely went there, but every now and then you know, the, the bishop would come and would go around and visit. I'm confusing my denominations, but don't worry. Uh, the moderator, the overseer, or somebody like that would come and would visit and would go and visit all the remote churches. And um, one day the terrible letter that they were expecting came and, and said that the, the moderator is going to come and he's going to stay in your house for a week as he makes it a base and goes around and visits all the remote churches. And um, they got really slightly freaked out by this. They started, you know, he started painting everything. She started tidying everywhere. Um, and basically warning the children. So we're going to set aside this room. This is for when the moderator comes. You, you do not make a mess in this room. You know, don't come in this room. It's no longer a playroom. Um, she did loads and loads of baking and then all these tins all over the pantry with, you know, don't touch this. This is when, for the, this is, you know, when the moderator comes. And um, eventually the great and terrible day came and he came and he moved in and he stayed with them and went out and visited all these other churches and at the end of the week he left and it had all gone off rather well. She thought, oh, this is great. Um, so the wife went into the bedroom where he'd been staying and um, discovered, to, rather to her surprise, that the neat tile of... Uh, pile of towels that she'd put out was still there. So he'd basically not washed for an entire week. And she thought, that's a bit strange, but you never, you know, all people are a bit odd sometimes. And so she picked it up to put it back into the airing cupboard. Um, and as she did, um, a little note fell out. So she picked it up in her own handwriting. It says, if you touch these towels, I'll break your neck. <laughs> Probably not a message for the moderator, but more for her children. Um, so I hesitate to say there's something. Uh, it's very important, isn't it, to know what a message means and who it's addressed to. Um, and I wanted to take us back into that passage that we were looking at this morning in Matthew 14, uh, where Jesus walks on water, but that doesn't really surprise us, where Peter walks on water. And we, we really got as far as um, the reaction to new experience. What happens when God starts to move in a way you haven't seen before? And we talked about how it's natural for us to be afraid. It's tempting for us, to, for us to misattribute something and say it's not God, which is probably a bad thing to do. But in it, what we need to do is listen for the reassurance that comes from Jesus. Ask ourselves, is this sort of thing in the scripture? Uh, is this bearing good fruit in the life of my friends? Can I, still hear, can I hear the still small voice of God that's saying to me, this is, this is me, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And, um, and then we recognize that actually in every encounter with God is an invitation. Every time we encounter God, we're invited to step into the more of God. Um, and Peter, with the boldness that only Peter amongst the disciples seems to have, says, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
And Jesus, who could have come up with all sorts of reasons why Peter was disqualified, says instead, come. And the heart of Jesus is that if you want to be with me, you can. If you want to do what I'm doing, you can join in. I've been looking for partnership from the beginning, that discipleship is about walking with Jesus. Keeping in step with the Spirit means being involved in the things the Spirit is doing. And the invitation for us all, if we desire more, is come. The only thing that holds us back, uh, well, it's within us. It's the things that are on our side of the equation. So, so for example, it can be that uh, we demand proof and we, we demand to be in control all the time because our, our head is a dominant rational logical framework which has no, no room for a God who is beyond imagination and, and is bigger than we could ever understand. Or it could be that our heart has been wounded to cause us to shrink back and to cause us to carry pain and hurt uh, in a place that God wants to fill with love, joy, peace and power. Uh, and so as we go through our lifelong Christian journey, I believe that we're meant to lay down not, not leave our brains at the door, but lay down our demand for understanding that leads to control. And I believe that we're meant to bring all of our hurts and wounds to Jesus so that he can heal us, so that we can increasingly trust God more and more and more as the Father with whom we are always safe and we're able to step out and enjoy an adventure. And so Peter actually does it. He does it. He steps out of the boat. And this is a very famous passage. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat, who hadn't bothered getting out of it because they were afraid, worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, what's really interesting is that in the middle of that little paragraph is this one little phrase, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I think it's a really instructive exercise for us all to engage in, to ask ourselves, when Jesus said that, what tone of voice do you think he used? Was Jesus exasperated, angry? Was Jesus shaming Peter? And I've just come to the conclusion that no, 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 it's none of those things. It's none of those things. I actually think sometimes that the, the tone of voice we think that Jesus uses here probably reveals a lot about how we view God. And so often how we view God has been affected by our experience of earthly fathers or other authority figures in our lives. The tone of voice is everything. I think if you go back and you look at what Jesus has already said in this passage, when they were afraid and they were accusing Jesus of actually being a spirit from the other side, Jesus says, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. He comes with incredible words of reassurance. When Peter boldly asks for something which seems a little bit arrogant in some ways, Jesus says, come. And I think if you see Jesus being so positive towards them in those two things, it's actually easier to see Jesus being quite positive in this third thing as well. That when 
Peter is sinking. Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's kind of winsome. It's, it's, it's affectionate. It's loving. What Jesus is saying, I think, is you can trust me. Why did you doubt? You know, if you only knew me, you wouldn't need to worry. If you can fix your eyes upon me and not get distracted by the circumstances around you, then you're going to be fine. Why did, why did you get yourself? Why did you let your, your eyes slip off me? So I wanted to draw out three things, really, because they, together, I think, they make, a life, they, make, they make up what it is to have a life of trying, to raise our expectation from the level of our experience up to the level of the expectation that the Bible sets. Now, I, for myself, and I hope increasingly for you as well, but for myself, certainly, I am convicted by Scripture that is what I must do. I desire it, yes. I mean, I, I, I would love to see God move in more power in my life. Uh, I, I would love to see signs and wonders and miracles in the church. I would love to see you know, God using me in ways that are beyond my own gifts and skills. I desire that. But also, I am increasingly convicted that it's required of me as I read what Jesus did to the disciples and how he told the disciples to go and do it to others. And I genuinely believe that for all of us, we are meant to step into a life that only makes sense to other people by the presence and power of God working in us. I believe that we're meant to be stepping into lives of, of bold risk where we, we invite him to come and, and do wonderful things. And that's how he will reveal himself. I believe that we're meant to be increasingly more like Jesus. Yeah? Who wants to be Christ-like? Everybody. What do you think Christ-like means? Oh, that's a little harder. Most people will go, well, Christ-like means like more loving, right? More generous. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely part of it. But being Christ-like is not only about his morality. What about his ministry or his mission? Is it, is it Christ-like to go towards the, the lost? Is it Christ-like to go towards the beggars and the hurting and the refugee? And Yes, it is. Yeah. So to be more Christ-like is actually to have a trajectory of life out of comfort into brokenness to bring hope. Is it Christ-like, oops, is it Christ-like when you encounter um, something like sickness that you come against it in the power of God and you pray that God would break in and that we might in this life get a foretaste of the greater healing that we'll get in the next. Well, yeah, it is, isn't it? So to become increasingly Christ-like is increasingly to be like Jesus but also to do like Jesus as well. And that's the challenge because I think a lot of us would go, Christ-likeness, that means holy. And it is. But it also means being able to walk in trust and power and faith and bring the presence of God where we go so here's three things that I see in this passage as we try and go into that I believe required lifestyle of which I'm convicted first thing Peter did not wait and certainly didn't have perfect conditions when Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water he could probably have stood there and said, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm just waiting for it to get a little bit flatter. But he didn't. You know, the, clearly the wind and the waves was a factor for Peter when he walked on the water. Now, I, I've discovered over the years um, in myself that a deep conviction that I'm probably going to be more used by God 
um, shortly after a week-long conference of worship and ministry. It's like, yay, I've spent all that time getting charged up, you know, and I'm ready to go now, and that's the time God's going to use me. Or I'm going to be used by God when I've been walking in unbroken, well, you know, nobody manages that, do they? But let's say I've been walking um, fairly free from sin for quite some time. You know, I haven't really fallen badly. You know, that, that's the time that God will use me. But I've discovered it's not, it's not the time that God will use me. God will use me any time I step out and give it a go. He uses the available. He doesn't use the holy. He uses those who show up. Um, and so often we've fallen into this sort of trap of thinking that, you know, I need to attain a certain level of holiness or a certain level of Christian maturity or a certain level of, you know, time investment. And it, without a doubt, all of those things are really significant in a lifestyle of pursuing God that leads to growing authority and power and presence. But actually, so often we go, well, God couldn't use me today because I had, you know, we had a row last night and I, you know, slept in late this morning and missed my quiet time and. God's God's not going to use me today. Jesus said, actually, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, then you can say to the mountain, be thrown into the sea. It's it's about having that little seed of faith. It's a seed as small as the mustard seed, but the right kind of seed. We put way too much stock in how well we're doing. And the reality is... God uses broken, broken people. They're the only people he has to use. And so, yes, it, it helps if we're not as you know, broken as we were. It helps if we're not as sinful as we were. It helps if we're pursuing God with passion and we're prayed up. Those things help. But don't rule out God using you on a particular day because of something. That's a big trick of the enemy. God wants to use us in the ordinary, everyday things of life. He wants to use us where we go in any moment. And that's one of the reasons why um, the little phrase that we, we picked up in New Wine years ago from our founding fathers, I think, which is this, the meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. The meeting place, that's this, is the training place for the marketplace. In other words, we're going to practice while we're here. But ultimately, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were not given to make Sunday meetings slightly more interesting. And it wasn't given to give Christians something to rally around. It's given to equip us for mission. You know, and it's interesting because I do see that the Holy Spirit has been restoring something of the early church's lifestyle to the church over the last few centuries. There was a time, obviously, in the early church, we, we read about um, the life of the, the book of Acts, you know, the early church in that season, and we see what they were doing. And then as the years rolled on, as the centuries rolled on, it became that those sorts of things only happened through people that were considered to be special and later got called saints. And there were undoubtedly miracles being performed in the name of Jesus still, but it wasn't by everybody, it was by the few. And then as we went on, we recognized that a lot of superstition had accreted around that. And so we, we kind of threw a lot of that out and we, we thought that's all very suspect and we didn't read those stories anymore. And we came to the conclusion that God wasn't doing it anymore because we weren't seeing it. And therefore, if we weren't seeing it, that was our experience. We raised our, well, we didn't raise our experience to our expectation. We lowered our expectation down to experience. And we came up with all sorts of theories, justifications, theological explanations why God doesn't do it anymore 
except he's always been doing it. So he's been doing it on the mission field because that's what he wants. In, in Western Europe, as we thought, this isn't a mission field anymore. Everybody's a Christian in this country. We don't need those things because everybody's converted anyway. Obviously, that wasn't true, but that was the sort of way that we were thinking. And then the Spirit of God said, well, I needed a reformation to put the Bible back in the hands of people, take it out of the few and put it into the hands of the many. And then I think we're in the middle of a second reformation where the Holy Spirit said, I want to take the ministry of the kingdom of God away from the hands of the few anointed superstars and put it back in the hands of everybody. Because that's what you see in the book of Acts. They're all doing it. And we gradually started to see that come back in and it, it broke out. I guess Pentecostal revival in Azusa Street was a big, a big significant thing, but we were in Korea. They had, with no connection to Azusa Street in 1907, they had an incredible revival of the Holy Spirit. Where? Pyongyang. The capital of North Korea had a powerful visitation of the Holy Spirit in 1907. So much so that it was called the Jerusalem of the East. Just an incredible move of the Holy Spirit in that country. The Spirit of God started getting poured out again in some of these revival moves. And then um, perhaps in the middle of the 20th century, it began to break into mainstream churches that the Spirit of God was beginning to do things. And then there were um, healing evangelists that, that began to move in power. And they weren't always received by the churches, so they started moving out into the tents and taking these tents around to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and um, do what Jesus had did, really, as a way of preaching the gospel. And then gradually it got back into the mainstream church again. And it became not exceptional, not normative yet, but not unheard of. And gradually there's churches now that have ministry teams and pray for people in the power of the Spirit Sunday by Sunday. And then somebody said, hey, it'd be a great idea if we took this outside. Why don't we do, go and do healing on the streets? And so... People started taking initiatives to get out and start praying where the power of the Spirit most wants to be, which is where the lost are. But there's another thing beyond that as well. You know, just think of it this way. You're, you're in Tesco's, um, you're in Sainsbury's, you're going down an aisle, you see somebody that's suffering and God nudges you and says, I'd love to heal that person. So it's a real nightmare if you have to sort of say, hey, I really think God wants to heal you, but I haven't got a deck chair, a clipboard and a banner. You know, that's the model I know. You know it's, it's great, that's a, that's a good model, but it's like all these things are training things to get us to where ultimately what we really want to see is that as the Spirit of God gives us a nudge, we can give it a go. And that means we need really simple models. We need to pray as Jesus prayed. We need to learn a little bit more about how he did it in simplicity without massive checklists. And, but that's ultimately what God wants. He wants all of his people to be able to bring all of his power wherever we are in our ordinary everyday lives. Whether it's a school gate or the office or the supermarket or the petrol station, so wherever you encounter some situation of need. You remember when Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter nine, it says Jesus looked out on the crowds and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you remember what he said? The harvest. Is plentiful. So every time you come across a situation of need, Jesus is saying, great, another harvest. Because people in their need are positioned to meet the God who meets needs. And he wants to use his people. He wants to use us. We're the person in that place and he wants to work through us to touch. So Peter didn't wait for the perfect conditions because we're never going to get them. 
we need to learn to be available to God even when we're not walking in incredible purity and prayed up power. The second thing that we read here is that Peter actually did walk on the water. I wish I could get hold of a Bible and correct the future printing so that this passage reads, Peter walks on the water. He did it, didn't he? He actually did it. You do believe it. It's in the Bible, isn't it? It does say Peter walked on the water. That means that somebody like you and me, with no particular extra merit than any of us, other than the fact he'd been with Jesus, had the privilege of walking with Jesus and seeing Jesus close up and personal. But one who fundamentally is the same as us is able to do the supernatural thing that Jesus is doing that we might otherwise think only Jesus can do. He actually walked on the water. And that's a lesson, I think, in some ways for faith. Because so often, we focus on the things that haven't happened. You know, Becky and I, obviously, we've told you our testimony. We, we, we have our, our children who we love and we long to see them healed. We accept them as they are, but we also know that there are symptoms of their conditions that cause them stress, anxiety that God would not want them to have. You know, I'm sure it would be a good thing to be able to talk with Joshua. I'm sure it would be a good thing for Rachel to have not just the deep, rich inner life that she had, but a deep, rich social life as well that God would want her to have. I'm sure when we get to heaven, those things will be so, right? But we are not going to stop praying for them, even though we haven't seen it yet. And one of the things that motivates us is because we keep seeing God do things. We see God heal in various places. And so when we come up against something and we pray for it and we don't see it, we don't deny it, we don't treat it as an embarrassment. We just know that in this life, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fully here. And we have to live in that painful gap and keep pressing into it. And sometimes those disappointments mount up and they eat away at us, particularly when they're really close to us. But one thing we need to do is we need to keep bringing those disappointments to God and acknowledge, Lord, I longed for this, but it didn't happen. And at the same time, be able to rejoice in the things that we do see happen or we hear of other, uh, happening in other people's lives. Because those are signs of the breakthrough that ultimately we, we will all have. How do you feed yourself in faith? Well, you read of what God is doing. You talk about what God is doing. You have a church where we share testimony. Yeah, we weep with those who weep, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. And we build that growing sense of faith in our midst because we've got testimonies of what God is doing and it emboldens us to keep pressing in for more walking on the water. And then finally, what happened when Peter took his eyes off Jesus? Well, he began to sink. This is a powerful truth. Um, I think in the book I put it this way. If you, want on water, if you want to walk on water, you are going to get wet hair. Uh, it just, this is a normal and natural part of us to try and, trying to grow into something. None of us ever walked perfectly from the moment we were born. Um, you know, baby elephants do pretty well, don't they? But um, human beings takes a little bit longer. 
Um, and some of you, you've, your parents, you've had little children, you've seen that time when they stand up, you're very excited, they're up on their own two feet, and they let go of the table, and you think, this is it, and they start toddling, and then they fall down on the ground. You don't conclude, oh dear, my one doesn't walk, never mind, you stay down there and scoot on your butt for the rest of your life. So, no, no of course, you, you know that they just get up and they try again. It's, it's a normal thing. You don't take to it 100% the first time you go for it. Same is true in stepping into anything of the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk on water, you are going to get wet hair. But what a wonderful, wonderful promise here. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. I love that. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Sometimes we're, we're afraid of stepping out because we're afraid of the consequence. But this says to us, if we step out, firstly, if we step out and we can keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, it's going to be fine. But actually, even if our eyes slip off Jesus and we get a little bit too focused on the wind and the waves and we start to sink, even then, Jesus will reach out and catch us and return us safely to the boat. He is not going to let you come to harm because you have stepped out in faith to pursue the invitation that he gave you to come. Does that make sense? Do you know, yeah? Because a lot of people think if I go for it and it goes wrong, it's going to be really, really painful. And I can tell you from my own experience, no, it's not. It's just going to be really, really embarrassing. <laughs> Sorry about that. There is a little bit of a cost to this. Um, so let me tell you a story of um, uh, many, many years ago, um, I was, uh, it was a season I was very, very busy in ministry, and um, I went to a conference, and I was very convicted by a talk from a pastor who'd had a massive burnout experience, and as a result of counselling afterwards, had written a book called um, Leading on Empty. I, I thought, well, that sounds a little bit like me in this season. So I bought the book, um, discovered that just buying it but not reading it doesn't make much difference. So... Brought the, bought the book, brought, brought it home, it was on my desk, um, sat on my desk for an embarrassingly long time, but I felt slightly better that I'd done something about my burnout. Um, fortunately, I have a wife who loves me, and so she took the book, read it, highlighted all the passages she thought applied to me, and brought it back. It's very kind of her. Um, and one of the things that was in the book that she said, you really need to do that, it says you need to take regular retreats. You've got to go away to be with God. Well, if you haven't worked out yet, I'm a massive activist and also a massive extrovert, so going away to stop work and be on my own, even with God, doesn't sound very appealing. So it just never really got into the diary, but I made a diary commitment, I put it into the diary, uh, and then uh, I, I just didn't do anything about it. And so it rolled around, and I got to the day before, and it, like the next day I've got retreat, I haven't booked anything, I've got nowhere to go, no idea about where to go. So I, I thought, I'm in real trouble with God and Becky, which is a lethal combination, if I don't go on this retreat. So I thought, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up a whole load of books, because that's kind of like, that will probably refresh me, and I'll go to the local shopping centre. Now, we, we happen to live next door, or we're pretty close to um, Westfield's shopping centre, Stratford, it's the biggest shopping centre in Europe, or it was at the time. It's like Fair Hills on steroids, basically. It's massive. 
Um, and we went to this shopping centre. I went to the shopping centre. I parked myself in the McDonald's part of the food court. And I had a great morning just reading all these exciting books about healing. Um, and then I thought, wow, this is fantastic. I'm really fired up at this point. So I thought, right, I'm going to pray for someone. So I'm, I'm sort of, right, I'm going to just march around. I'm praying for a bit. And then I thought, I've, I've got to pray for someone. The next person who's sick, I'm going to stop them and say, look, excuse me, I'm a Christian. I've been reading about how Jesus heals the sick. Can I have a go? Um, and... Um, I just couldn't really find anybody who looked like they needed prayer. So, oh, never mind. So I went off to the, um, the toilet facilities, and as I was coming out, coming the other way, well, first thing was, as I was coming out, coming the other way, the corridor was full of people on crutches or wheelchairs. It was like the stroke club were having an outing. Um, so it, that was just too much. So I, didn't, I thought, I can't start there. That's a, bit, that's a bit much, Lord. So I chickened out. And I was just going to go a little bit further, and then I saw a, a little uh, coloured lady um, shuffling forward on a stick. I thought, this is the one. So I, I sort of waited, and then she turned into the disabled toilet. I thought, oh, I missed, missed my chance. So, so I was going out, and as I was going out, I felt the Lord say, got anything else to do today? I thought, No. All right, so I'll wait for her. Now, it's a, it's a little bit dodgy waiting for somebody you don't know outside the toilets, even in a shopping centre. So I'm sitting there thinking, is she ever coming out? Um, and eventually, after, I mean, it was probably about a good 10 minutes, eventually she came out, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I stop this lady um, without being weird? So I'm trying my best to look non-threatening, which is almost counterproductive. You look really weird when you're trying not to look weird. Um, so I'm catching her eye, like, hey, hello, yeah, yeah. Um, she got alongside me, and I, I sort of, as I said to her, um, hi there, that looks painful. And she was a little bit surprised, but she said, yeah, I just had a hip operation recently, and it, it, um, it hasn't healed very well. I said, oh, that's, oh, poor you. So then my prepared talk. So, look, I'm a Christian. I've been reading lots of books about how Jesus heals the sick. I've got some experience, but I'm really trying to grow in this. I'd love to pray. Could, could I please pray that God would take away your pain? And she said, no thanks, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> and hobbled off. Oh, dear. So, um, so I left, which actually meant overtaking her. Hi again, you know. Um, and I'm going out through the corridor. And as I came out of that corridor, at this point, God and I are having a conversation. It's like, what was that about, Lord? You know, I felt a right idiot in that moment. And I felt the Lord say, this is no word of a lie, I honestly felt the Lord say to me, it'll be a lot easier next time. Well, that's really interesting. I kind of think now that the purpose, I mean, maybe I was right. Maybe that's exactly what God wanted me to do, was to pray for healing. Maybe she should have said yes, but for some reason she refused. I don't know. But I think actually the ultimate lesson of that is you can go for it, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't kill you. And that actually, in a bizarre kind of way, was a really liberating thing for me. Um, I mean, after that, it's like I can offer pray for people in Tesco's and if they say no, you know, I've been there. It doesn't really matter, does it? I'm not embarrassed by that anymore. I actually, um, just about a week later, ended up praying for somebody on the troop train who was really powerfully touched by God and, and had a healing. So, you know, sometimes what you need to do is you need to go for it, fall flat on your face, and Jesus will pick you up and dust you off and go, it's all right, it's okay, it's not going to be a problem. It's like when you're learning to ride a bike, 
You might get a couple of skinned knees, but don't conclude that you'll never ride a bike as a result. Now, Jesus is going to be there. He will step in to save you, to catch you, to heal you. You know, it's not going to be It's not going to be terrible. He'll be there for you. I want to show you um, just another picture before we uh, come back to some ministry and some worship. So when I was um, writing this final chapter of of the book, um, this was on the news, this picture. Um, You might have seen things like that every now and then. This, This is what we would call a whale stranding. So a huge pod of whales, I think this was in New Zealand, and it's a tragedy, I mean, it's these, these kind of glorious, majestic creatures, for some reason, get washed up on a beach. And when it happens like this, the community will, will come out to try and save them, and they'll be pouring water over them to try and keep them alive, and maybe get the tractors out to try and you know, pull them back, and get them to the place where when the tide comes in again, that might float them and they'll be able to, to escape. And, and um, just very, very tragically, it's almost impossible, and often hundreds of whales can, can die. And scientists have been asking for years and years and years why this happens. So why does this happen? You know, is it, what's, what's causing it? Is it a simple navigation error in... Some, in the brains of the whales, but there's a number of theories. So, so one of the theories is that it's sunspots, you know, confuses the whale radar. Um, another theory is that it's um, underwater explosions or, or even drilling for oil. Um, or it's, um, it's the sonar from the submarines that confuses them. You know, there's all these theories. I think at last count, there are over 100 different theories of what causes these terrible kind of incidents. But in some ways, the simplest explanation is the best, isn't it? And one of the explanations is this. Whales really, really, really like sardines. And so a pod of whales will come across a school of sardines and the sardines will, will just go and the whales will chase them and the sardines, I don't know whether they're, you know, whether they've figured this out or whether it's just an instinct, but quite often is the, the school of sardines will obviously be going for shallower water and the whales just come roaring after them and they beach themselves and they can't get back. And it was interesting because when I saw that picture and I was thinking about all of these things, I just felt the Lord say to me, you know, so often what happens is we are made for so much more. In God's eyes, we are majestic creatures made a little lower than the angels. But we spend our lives chasing after things that are too small for us. You know, we were made for more. And a bit like the whale, you know, if the whales had gone after something that was worthy of them, then they wouldn't end up wrecked on a beach. I feel as though that there's a call from God to the church to step out with him. You know, there are all all sorts of factors arrayed against the church. We know it's difficult. It's not easy to proclaim Jesus in today's modern society. But at the same time, there's more need, more obvious need than there's ever been. And all the answers, all the things that people have historically turned to, one by one by one, are failing them. There's a great opportunity, greater than it's been for decades. There is actually an open spiritual hunger. People people now are so many generations away from Jesus, many have never really heard about him. 
People are seeking spiritual experience, although many people are seeking it in entirely the wrong place. There's an incredible opportunity, and Jesus is saying to his church, will you join me? Where I am, there will my disciple be. You know, are you willing to step out? There's a, there's a release, I believe, of the Holy Spirit to, to see more power in the church again. You know, we, we're fortunate that we, we're in days actually where God is doing some stuff that some of us haven't seen before. We're beginning to get testimony of, of God's breaking in and changing people's lives in a wonderful way. And at the same time, there's a, a dissatisfaction in a lot of us as Christians. We've been singing the songs for decades. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, come take control. There must be more than this. We, we, we instinctively know that we were made for more. And Jesus, I think, is, is saying to the church, as he said to Peter when he said, if, if I can, Lord, can I? I think Jesus is just saying, come. Come. There's, there's an openness on heaven's side too. What I'd love to, to do actually now is, is um, really to, to pray for us to cast away fear and to boldly and confidently set ourselves to pursue that. Um, and again, you don't need to come to the front to do this. We can do it where we are. Um, but would you like to stand? Um, and Band, you can stay where you are for now. I'd love to pray for you as well. You've served us so well. It'd be nice if you get some prayer ministry as well. I hope and pray that as we've shared this time together today that God will have stirred up hunger in you for more. maybe even challenged you if you really want it. Maybe built some faith that more is possible. It doesn't have to look like what God has done for anyone else. Holy Spirit, as we stand in the presence of God, Hear the cry of our hearts. There are many here who are hungry for you. We want more of you, Lord, in our lives and in our church. We want to see your glory flood the nation. In the name of Jesus be honored. The gospel go forward with power. in your own hearts and in your own words to say to the Lord what it is that you want from him. What do you want? Come.
I can see some of you, you're just experiencing the peace of God. And I think that's a very common sign of the presence of God today because we live in an anxious age. And uh, I know some of you, you just came today and you've got anxiety about family or finances, health. And there's a sense of peace of God resting on you. That God is saying to you, I am your father, provider, protector. I am with you and will not let you go. Whatever you need to go through, I will be carrying you through. some of you that, that perhaps there is a real desire to move in signs and wonders and miracles that you, you believe this is in the book and that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever you, you sense that you need power for that and so I pray that the power of God will begin to meet you according to the depth of your desire Lord, I pray that you would place power for healing, signs and wonders and miracles upon my brothers and sisters. You are the one who gives the spirit without measure. You don't withhold. As we receive, we receive by faith. And what that means is you don't need to have any visible sign of it. But if you are sensing the power of God touching you, which could come to you as heat, it could come to you perhaps as, uh, for some it comes as, as a trembling or a shaking. Uh, for many it's a, it's a, a sense of, uh, across their face, it's like they're looking into glory. You know, if you, if you were to close your eyes but then turn and face the sun, it's that sort of sense. Whatever sign that you might see, if there's a sign in your body, then all you need to do is say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. I don't need to understand it. Thank you for what you're doing. More, Lord. Give you permission. More. That's it. Let's receive it. More, Lord. And one of the things that peace and power will do is they will drive out fear. So, Lord, I, I pray that any fear that we might have would start to go. I know it's normal for us to be afraid in some ways because we're small and you're big. But Lord, we don't want to be afraid of you in the wrong way. We don't want to be afraid of embarrassment. We don't want to be afraid of rejection. We don't want to be afraid 
of anything that would hold us back from the glorious destiny that you have. Lord, you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. And so let all of those fears be swept away and give us a boldness to pursue you. Now, I'm not asking you to go anywhere, but I can see the Spirit of God resting on a lot of you. Um, if, if you sense that God's doing something, just put a hand up. I'm not going to do any more than that, but just it's good for you to acknowledge that, yeah, God is on me now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. More, Lord. So those of you particularly, just again, say to God, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I don't need to understand it. Thank you that you're doing something. More. I give you permission, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. 